If you enjoy our videos and podcasts and would like us to continue putting out regular quality content, head over to patreon.com forward slash review where you can donate monthly and in return you will get rewards ranging from early interview viewings, bonus clips, credited as a producer and much more. Thank you and enjoy. There was uh, an element of, I used to, uh, on the West 6, I used to get loads of hands-on flying. Yeah. It was brilliant. And uh, I was doing everything with the helicopter, mm-hmm. hovering, taking on fuel, um, uh, taking troops into confined areas, all sorts of things. I was doing that with mm-hmm. the West 6. It's such a nice airplane to fly. Merlin is a little bit uh, more testing. Actually, it's a very, it, it, you're going up from 90 knots to 150. Now, that might yeah, not a seem a lot, but that's a big it? difference. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very slippy airplane. Is so, it really? And the, the Wessex had a tailwheel, so you could just chuck it on the ground, slam the tailwheel in, bonk. And the, if you look at the undercarriage yeah, yeah, yeah. on a Wessex, it's tractor yeah. undercarriage. It's, it takes a lot of stuff. This is a bit more delicate. Yeah. But also, if you try to um, slow this thing down um, and you, you're flaring it, the, the, the tail rotor is 72 foot behind you or 70 foot behind you so uh, if you're getting close to the ground and you start pulling the nose up to lose some speed you run the risk of sticking the 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 rotor into the into the ground so it it took a little bit more thought on how you're going to slow it down charge Mm. in there but slowing it down was a little bit um, more difficult you could do it because of course any helicopter you put it on its side and it's like hitting a brick wall so Mm. you can you could you could do it but you just had to be a bit more careful with the the tail rotor where it was At the back. <laughs> um, yeah, so left-hand seat. So I used to get checked annually for mm-hmm. my um, to see how capable I was of landing it because we're on operations. So if the um, if something happens to the right-hand seat uh, and they get shot for any, you know, if it all goes horribly wrong yeah. and they get shot, it's a bit crazy if I'm sat there in the left-hand seat with yeah. 24 troops in the back <laughs> going, does anybody know how to land yeah. this thing? Oh, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, so I used to get um, checked out on that, mm-hmm. and uh, and I used to get hands on, so I could fly, and I did. I had some fabulous flying on that that airplane. Uh, I always had to think about it a little bit harder than uh, I don't know. You put you put a Wessex on, but that yeah. airplane is kind of a little bit more. You you're very aware of it sort mm-hmm. of all the time, um, but it's um, it's very fast. It had amazing radios on it. Uh, it had an amazing, it had a brilliant nav system. Um, it had a state-of-the-art defensive aid system. Mm-hmm. It had lasers. It had lasers. lasers? Yeah. No sharks right. involved, but it had lasers. <laughs> so, um, for um, infrared countermeasures. Right. And when I first started with the Merlin, and we were looking at the defensive aid systems, it had something called directional infrared countermeasures, DIRCAM, which is uh, old school jammers just put uh, a jamming signal out mm-hmm. around you know, in yeah. a, sort of all over the place apart from it was blanked probably by the fuselage um, which is very inefficient because you're putting all of this energy out around the sky and the missile's only small and it's coming from one direction but you're mm-hmm. still having to jam over there now the advantage is you don't know which direction the missile's coming from so you're jamming the whole sky where you can um, so it doesn't matter which direction the missile is yeah. coming from, you're able to sort of get reach into its head. Um, with a directional one, you're focusing that energy, all of that energy is now focused into a narrow beam, which you point at the missile. Mm-hmm. So now you've got to know where the missile is coming from. Yeah. 
disadvantage of that is to know where the missile's coming from, it's already got to be coming at you. Yeah, so it's already yeah, heading your way. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's... Um, but the old school, the Durkham thing that we had was basically one of those old jammers, but it was focused. Um, they were talking then way in the future. In the future, it's going to be lasers. We're going to have lasers, and that will be so much more efficient, and it will you know, shoot, it'll knock missiles dead, mm -hmm. or at least their guidance systems. Things That came in within a couple of years. It was on the horizon, really? but because of the threat, because of the pace of Iraq, and because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, when, when there's things like that, when the threat's there, and you've, you've got the focus, you've got the reason for making yeah. sure that this happens, um, that came in way quicker than it was expected to. Mm -hmm. And then we had lasers on two, two, two of them, one each side. Right. Yeah, so it's like really quickly, mm -hmm. yeah. And it's Star Wars stuff. If you imagine uh, uh, a manpads isn't a big missile, mm -hmm. especially when it's coming towards you. And so the system has to detect that, uh, slew the camera at it, which is then looking in that. So it's looking in UV to detect the missile, mm -hmm. uh, sees where it's coming from, slews an infrared camera, which locks onto the missile a little tracking gate, mm -hmm. confirms that, yeah, there's something here with UV and IR, so it's getting mm -hmm. a double sort of thing, and then um, uh, fires the laser. Now, actually, the laser's already firing when it comes out, mm -hmm. so, um, so straight away, as soon as you lock onto that missile, it's getting laser in its head. And can you imagine doing Mach 2 uh, towards something and somebody points a laser yeah, in your exactly. head? Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. It's going to hurt you, isn't it? I it's going to hurt your eyes. Your eyes are going to go all fuzzy. Yeah. If your eyes are going to go fuzzy, you're yeah. not going to be able to see what you're tracking. So yeah. therefore, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not going to work. Um, and it proved it was worth its salt in Iraq a couple of times. I've got gin and wine. Uh -huh. The interesting thing about this is they're both from the same stable. Yeah. These are both from Chapeldown. So it's a Chapeldown gin, which was, uh, uh, when you asked me the question to start with, and I couldn't remember, mm -hmm. it suddenly came to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got it, yeah. Chapel down. And it's also their, their wine, English. English wines. Yum. You should try it. Well, I'll try it, like maybe a glass in a, in a bit. We'll see what, uh, what happens. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Caroline, um, let's talk about the Merlin. What was it like to fly? Um, for me, as a navigator, it was brilliant because... Mm -hmm. The whole um, reason for being there as a navigator, obviously, is um, mission management. Mm -hmm. That's your role. So you're um, not just con not just mission managing your aeroplane, but the whole task, probably, mm -hmm. um, and uh, multiple aircraft formations and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, the Merlin made that so much easier because of the um, the extras it had on board. So um, the Wessex predated um, GPS and things like that. So Wessex really was um, looking out the window with a map, uh, a compass and a stopwatch and doing your navigation that way. Whereas Merlin came in with, um, it had a um, GPS embedded uh, inertial, but also a little bit later we got digital um, map so um, that made it easier because you've got a big picture of the world in front of you. In front of you, mm -hmm. um, so you could overlay all sorts of things on there. So you could overlay um, restricted airspace and things like that. So you could ha you had a god's eye view of where you were in 
space at any particular time what was around you as opposed to looking at the map and going I think we're here <laughs> and I think we should be going yeah. over there so Merlin um, helped that way um, but also the radios so you could speak to we had too many radios actually uh, it gets to a point where you've got too many radios because you can only really follow one conversation properly mm -hmm. but you've got multiple conversations going on so you've got uh, two secure radios um, so you might be talking secure air-to-air, -air, plus you're talking secure radios to air-to-ground. You've got air traffic radios, you've got the um, airspace management radios, um, and also you're talking ahead to the next um, user. So you're not just talking about where you are now, you're planning ahead. That's all part of the mission management thing. Mm -hmm. Sort of saying, right, we're going here, I need to speak to them now before we leave here to, so that they're ready for us when we get there. <clears throat> and there's multiple radios advantage of the Merlin was it had four crew so um, the uh, the driver did the driving that's what they're paid to do yeah um, and the but the crewmen we had two crewmen and the the, um, the, the front end of the cabin uh, the crewmen had access to the comms panel had access to navigation information and things like that so they could contribute to that and they could take radios they could take some radios off you mm -hmm. um, and so it was all about the crew management and um, helicopters were really good at that and managing the crew and everybody everybody on that airplane all four people are flying operating and fighting that airplane which is different to the way a lot of other nations do things mm -hmm. um, so that could reduce a lot of the workload in the cockpit because it uh, on ops it was pretty frenetic mm -hmm. really lots going on um, Merlin also had, um, the, we had two variants of Merlin. We had the Mark III and we had the Mark III-A. The Mark III-A came in as a consequence of there not being enough helicopters in Afghanistan, and that made the news. So the, the, the knee-jerk reaction was to buy more helicopters. Yeah. Uh, the Danish had ordered six Merlins, um, so we stole them. <laughs> Yeah. We didn't steal them. We kind of negotiated yeah. a deal where instead of those Merlins going to Denmark, they came to UK. But they were specified completely differently to the Merlins we already had. They were designed for um, predominantly search and rescue, but also with special forces stroke uh, trooping requirements as a, as a secondary role. Mm -hmm. um, so the aircraft didn't fit in with us with the Merlins we already had. But they had a uh, laser optical wire warning system, so flying at low level, they would detect uh, mm -hmm. wires at a certain diameter. It had a weather radar, it had a TCAS, um, it had um, the ability to send pretty much text messages from one platform to another. Um, it had all of these amazing things on it which we didn't have on the standard Merlin. Yeah. But because we didn't have them on the standard Merlin, they were determined to be unsupported. So as mm -hmm. they as they broke, they were never replaced or never repaired or never supported. Mm -hmm. So we had all this extra capability in the aircraft, but we were never able to use it. Problem was that the aircraft wasn't fit for Afghanistan because of the radios, but also because the um, the um, the back end of the aeroplane, the cabin, was, wasn't geared up for heavy-duty troop moves and things like that. There's all sorts of reasons why that platform didn't go to mm -hmm. Afghanistan. Um, but um, 
So two different variants, and what I would like to have seen is a combination of the two. They're merely mm. Mark III, but with all of those extra bits and pieces, especially TCAS. Uh, TCAS came uh, um, um, traffic collision aw- uh, avoidance system, so it gave you a heads up <coughs> of other aircraft in close proximity. Um, and especially at night, uh, working on NVGs, lights out, a very dark space, nobody's talking to each other. Um, potentially, especially on operations, yeah. um, TCAS would be very, very useful. And I got scared far too many times oh, really? in near misses in helicopters um, where TCAS would have been uh, a help. So mm. it had it had extra bits on it, which was really mm. good. Um, so, um, but the, the Merlin platform itself, um, we had three GPMGs on it, so. Uh, one each side, um, machine guns, one each mm-hmm. side, 762, um, just behind the um, the cockpit, and one on the ramp. Um, and we use those for self-protection, self-defense, really, rather than it wasn't an offensive platform. Yeah. It was just to give covering fire mm-hmm. for picking up troops, dropping off troops, or in some kind of um, protective orbit, being able to reach down and... Mm-hmm. and uh, do things not reach down very far but <clears throat> it doesn't matter how high you are bullets have got to reach the ground somehow yeah. right? um, <clears throat> so um, we would carry 24 troops now, the problem with Merlin was Merlin came in um, post health and safety mm-hmm. so oh, health yeah, and safety yeah. at war so mm-hmm. everything was safe which was brilliant actually because you want to be safe it doesn't matter if you're going into war as soldiers if the airplane has a hard landing crash rollover you want to be able to get out and fight you don't want to be trapped inside this aircraft and merlin was designed to be more survivable so it had uh, independent uh, stroking crash worthy seats rather yeah. than bench seats that you would find in um, other aircraft like uh, hercules yeah. like chinook like um, mm-hmm. puma um, but then you've got a compromise because then uh, to have full crash-worthy protection, you've got to have a four-point harness. And soldiers mm-hmm. don't like four-point harnesses because you're trying yeah. to put a harness on and in the dark and it's like clipping in things all over the place and they're wearing Bergens and they're mm-hmm. wearing all this extra kit and carrying weapons and things. So it's a compromise mm-hmm. uh, which you have to deal with. Um, but if you're going to crash and roll over, you know, uh, and get up and sort of escape the aircraft and mm. Merlin was designed to do that which was um, <clears throat> something I never had to practice or try thank god thankfully <laughs> <laughs> some did but I didn't um, for me it was all about the um, tactical aspects of the aircraft and the um, defensive aid systems and defensive aid systems were um, streets ahead of most platforms mm-hmm. um, so it was very well protected in terms of infrared. Um, it was very well protected on paper against radar platforms as well, but never tested really because yeah. the focus was on Iraq, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. and that was a different war. So we mm-hmm. never really got involved in the nitty gritty of the mm-hmm. radar mm-hmm. Uh, warning systems and defensive aids. It had laser warners on it like the Apache um, and um, I really enjoyed operating it it was it was quite often really hard work because the more kit you have on there to help you do the job the more 
things you've got to monitor, the more things you've got to work with, and the, the workload goes up mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, sometimes it's just nice to look out a window with a, a, with a, a, a stopwatch yeah. and a compass and just get on and do things. Absolutely. Interestingly, uh, the way the Air Force does things now, it's gone away from paper maps, which I think is, personally, I think is wrong. So uh, there's a, a, a reliance on digital now, so digital planning systems, mm-hmm. and you take you don't need to carry paper maps into the cockpit. Um, which is interesting for a military perspective because um, you've always got denial of um, digital systems and you've got denial of GPS and all that kind of stuff. So actually it might come down to the day where you need to look out the window, use a map yeah. and a stopwatch and a compass. But there you go, that's, that's the digital age. So when my book came out, I got invited um, to go on television. So um, I ended up doing um, Good Morning Britain with Piers and Susanna, um, mostly because uh, there was a choice between doing Breakfast, BBC, or Good Morning Britain, ITV, but mostly because uh, I had a really good friend, Mikey Kay, who used to be my boss. And he uh, he was a helicopter pilot as well. Yeah, he he? was a Puma pilot uh, by background, but when I... Um, was on the operational evaluation unit. He came in as my boss. So the the way it worked was that the flight commander uh, for Chinook looked after Sea King, so Chinook and Sea King, um, search and rescue Sea King. And then the flight commander, um, there's one flight commander who looked after Merlin and Puma. Mm-hmm. And he was a Puma guy, so he looked after us, which was brilliant. It's really nice. I love Mikey, um, but it's really nice having the boss as an expert on the opposite platform because yeah. you can get away with a little bit more because yeah. he's not as familiar with your airplane type. So so he's all over the Puma yeah. because that's what he flies. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you could go into him with Merlin problems mm-hmm. and sort of uh, have that little bit of an advantage because you yeah. knew more about it. So, But he was a lovely, lovely guy, huge respect. Um, and he uh, guests on Good Morning Britain to do um, sort of little talks about the security aspects or aviation aspects and things. And so we joined up to go on Good Morning Britain and it was Piers and Susanna. And I was scared stiff because Piers has got this reputation, um, but I trusted Mikey. And I thought it would be a far better interview having uh, Mikey next to me because if I'm on the sofa and I'm talking about my journey within the military as a transgender woman, then those people who... Um, don't understand or uh, wouldn't necessarily believe me because they would make an assumption that I would be saying that naturally because I'm defending myself. Mm -hmm. But to have somebody there who worked alongside me who has no uh, none of that as as part of their their own uh, being, uh, to be able to turn around and say, no, this is actually what happened. If I say, this is what happened, yeah. then there's going to be an element of some people going, yeah, you would yeah. say that. Mikey say, no, this is what happened. Then that's a different ball game. So for him to say, Kaz was really respected and um, uh, she did a great job as a tactics instructor. If I said that, it kind of sounded like I'm yeah. picking myself up. But for somebody else to say that makes a big difference. And um, uh, that's the thing that the message we wanted to get across because 
um, there's this perception or uh, perception amongst some people that because you're transgender, you're useless and and not going to be worthwhile being in the military and you're a liability. But actually, I was just a person and I was doing my job and I was doing my job well. So he was able to turn around and say, yeah, and she was. She was, uh, mm. she was on my... Um, my flight and uh, she did an amazing job i won awards for excellent service so i must have been doing something right but um so yeah so that was kind of quite scary to go into but i had that backup with mikey there and actually the interview i thought went really really well um and it led on to other things so over that was 2016 2017 that was 2017 march since then, uh, I added it up recently. I've done about 35 different radio and television wow. uh, interviews. Uh, the most recent one was a couple of weeks ago here with uh, BBC Radio Lincolnshire um, with lovely Melvin. So um, so it goes on. But the, the thing about the radio is I get, uh, once you um, go on radio as a military person talking about some things, then your name goes in the book as a military expert. So I get calls to talk about some of my strange yeah. things, which I've got no <laughs> yeah, experience yeah. of whatsoever. And I go, as much as I'd like to come on radio and talk about this, you better ask somebody else who knows really? what they're talking about because I've never done this before, mm-hmm. whatever it is. I get asked to talk about army recruiting, for instance. Why, why are you asking me about army recruiting? I'm Air Force. Wow. You know, being LGBT, being transgender, being LGBT, whatever, it's just a person. You're just a person trying to get by in life like we're all yeah. trying to get by in life. You just want to do, uh, live life to the best you can, be loved by people, love people, have a job, go to work. That's all you want to do. So what's what's wrong with that? What's Why do people feel yes. obliged to say nasty things about you? And I don't understand that uh, idea. Yeah. So um, everybody just wants to get by in life and do what it is they're, they're doing, uh, um, and it's and it's difficult because uh, being LGBT, you're exposing if, if you're openly LGBT, so like going on radio and TV and doing talks like I do, then you're opening up yourself to uh, judgment and comments from other people. Um, and I think the majority of people, there's, there's three um, there's three sort of um, breakout groups, if you like, I guess. There's, um, that's the wrong word, but what I'm trying to get at is there are people who are hostilely negative, whatever mm. it is. And it doesn't matter whether you're LGBT or whether it's race or whether it's um, uh, your social background mm. or whatever. It doesn't matter. They're nasty people out there and they'll just have a go at yeah. anybody. There's those people. There's people who are really supportive and, hey, do you know what? Just crack on with your life. If you're enjoying your life, then crack on with it. And then in the middle, there's this big chunk of people who are undecided. They don't know. And they they can be influenced either way, positively or negatively, by who they hear, who they listen to. Mm. And so if they hear negative things from somebody who's spouting all this um horrible ideas of what it means to be in my case a transgender and they don't know any better then they're gonna likely believe that yeah um so that's why i do my talk so i go out to all these places and talk just to say do you know what i'm not trying to tell you that you have to like me because i'm transgender i'm mm-hmm. just saying hey this is me i just want to get by that's i want to do happens, my job yeah, yeah. i'm uh, i don't <clears throat> 
like the idea that I go out there and say I'm a transgender person who was in the military and flew mm -hmm. um, fast jets and helicopters. It's the other way around. I was a person who went and did fast jets and helicopters. Oh, and by the way, I just happened to be transgender. Yeah. I was a person first. And on top of that, there's a challenge that I've had mm. to meet in life. And it's been a really, really hard challenge. So I don't need people adding to that challenge, really. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so it's all, all I would say to people listening in who are going through those challenges, whatever they might be, is believe in yourself, but make good use of the support that's around you, mm -hmm. your friends, uh, people who think positively. Do away with the negative people because... Useless. You don't yeah, need those don't in, need in life at all. Um, <clears throat> um, but um, embrace the, the positive people and um, believe in yourself and just uh, be, be you. And um, like I, I, you obviously talked about it there, but like how do you personally cope with, you know, like uh, the hate or anything like that that you see on social media and stuff like that? How do you cope? Um, it used to upset me, but now I use it more um, as uh, an awareness of what's mm -hmm. still out there because one of the uh, problems I see is even people who are looking outwardly positively are influenced by um, this idea that LGBT people are always going on about this. Yeah. Why do you need to do it? Because... Uh, people accept are accepting of LGBT people. So why do you need to have prides? Why do you need to be doing this? Why do you need to be doing that? Why do you need to be saying that? And actually it's because those people who aren't part of that community don't see what it's really, really, really yeah. like. And they're making a, a judgments and assessments and things um, <clears throat> based on what they see, not what they're experiencing as part of that community. So they don't really get the right to turn around and say um, why are you going on about this you mm -hmm. don't need to do this anymore the people who are being influenced by um, what's going on in society have that right to turn around and say but this is happening still um, so um, take the military for instance there was a post on this is LGBT History Month so there was a post on the RAF um, Facebook page saying, look how positive we are about LGBT, we've come a long way in 20 years. And there was, there was some really lovely comments, there was some very supportive comments, but there was also an awful lot of really nasty comments. Why? I don't know, but they were there. Mm -hmm. But even people who were supportive were turning around to say, yeah, why are we actually still going on about this 20 years later? And the answer is because businesses these days have to be very 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 competitive they have to yeah. be competitive and if you've got big businesses putting messages out there saying we're lgbt inclusive yeah um, um and the air force and the army and the navy aren't seen alongside those then people are going to assume that they're not they will they just mm -hmm. assume that they're not but we're not talking about lgbt people here we're talking about everybody because the younger generation gets inclusion and acceptance and they don't want to go to work for an organization which mm -hmm. isn't inclusive of diverse communities so they will judge a employer on mm -hmm. it how it treats its people 
And it doesn't matter whether um, you're a minority for whatever reason. Yeah. If that employer isn't yeah. treating people fairly, then they will look on that business as something that they don't want to go and do. So it's not, you know, it's not looking towards LGBT people. But taking all of that aside, the Air Force is a hugely respected organisation around the world. It's got an awful lot of respect around the world. Yeah. And if we um, allowed ourselves to look internally within the UK and say, uh, but we're all sorted here, why do you need to be saying that we're LGBT plus inclusive? If you think um, the reach that the military has into countries where it's still illegal to be LGBT, where um, it's Which hostile. It's crazy when you think about it. It's, some countries still have death penalties for yeah, being LGBT. It, 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 it's, it's mental. What is the best way to affect change in all of those places, in different nations? What is the best mm. way to affect change? It's by positive example and showing the world, you know, hey, actually, we yeah. do LGBT and it's not an issue, it's not a problem. Yeah. We're just employing the best people. It doesn't matter. We don't care about um, things, uh, sort of diversity issues. We think we want a diverse team because actually diverse teams are proven to work better. Um, so you're influencing other countries and that saves lives yeah. that saves lives and it affects change globally not just mm -hmm. within the uk so it's still worthwhile having pride it's still worthwhile having um messages on facebook and twitter mm -hmm. and any kind of social media platform to say look how inclusive we are exactly because yeah. we're not just talking about england or the uk or europe we're talking about the world yeah. really that message gets across the world so it's always worth doing we're all here yeah. for a finite time we're all yeah, finite, uh, yeah, working finite, to do yeah. our best in that time why can't we just get on um, and do things together and if, if you can't do things together if you have an opinion which is um, sort of uh, in no, opposition it's an opinion in yeah. your your absolutely totally entitled to your opinion but that doesn't give you the right to but then, make it right well no, but it doesn't give you the right to go and enforce it on somebody yeah. else. Yeah. Um, so, yes, by all means, have your opinion. But um, uh, in regard to opinions, learn before you judge people. Learn Absolutely. about what it is. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah, don't yeah. just... Yeah, don't just charge in there and go, this is wrong and you're horrible. And yeah, so you, like, I'm yeah. right, you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, why do you feel that way? Have you spoken to somebody who's mm -hmm. um, in the opposite shoes and learn a little bit about actually what it is they're all about? Uh, but Caroline, thank you very much for like hosting us. Uh, I want to thank you very much and uh, hopefully we can cheers. Right, I, I've got two glasses <laughs> We've got here, two. So I'm gonna get... <laughs> cheers. Thank, thank you very much, Caroline. And my wine. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs>